Good morning. This is the word of Christ destroys the bugbear part two. As I started out last week, I told everyone this message is a bit of a casserole. Has a little bit of everything. <laughs> the thing about casseroles is you can usually get two meals out of them. <laughs> so this is, this is just a second meal of the same dish. What we're actually talking about is the subject of fear. Fear in the life of a believer. The word bugbear is not in the Hebrew or the Greek. It's actually in the Strong's Concordance. When you look up all the words for the word fear, this particular word is pronounced amah. It's E-M-A-H. And it has direct relation to an idol. We looked at last week, Second Kings, where God says to his people who have been carried away into captivity, the Assyrians are in control, and he says to them over and over and over again, fear only me, don't fear other gods. You have a covenant with me, don't fear other gods. Over and over, he's telling them, don't fear other gods. The point he was trying to make is that in the Old Testament, fear and worship were closely related. And we talked a little bit about that last time, about what is the healthy fear that Christians have. It's reverence and awe at how big and how mighty our God is. And if we, see, if we understood how big and how mighty and how loving and how kind and how good he is, why would we fear anything else? His whole point was that with him was, you have a covenant. Your covenant says you stay in these boundaries. I provide for you, I protect you, and I deliver you from all of your enemies. We have a better covenant because we can't break it. I like that part. We can't break it. So how do we stay in the covenant? We just are in the covenant. As we are in Christ, we are in the covenant. Jesus cannot be broken. <laughs> so we have this covenant. If we have covenant, we have no reason to fear. The idols that they worshipped, and they worshipped not out of love, not out of reverence, but out of fear. So what ended up happening was that the people of the land would agree to sacrifice to Jehovah God because they wanted protection from lions. They didn't want the lions eating them. Then they also went ahead and, and sacrificed to the rain god and the sun god and the fertility god and the safety god and the hunting god and all these other gods because they wanted to make sure all their bets were covered. They didn't trust in one god. They didn't have the concept of covenant. So they were always afraid. And this word bugbear shows up when you look up this word for fear. It's, and it means fright, dread, horror, terror, and idol. They had all of these emotions regarding their idols. They were always trying to pacify an idol who's in a bad mood. <laughs> if I make you happy and sacrifice to you, you will be good to me. That is not a healthy concept of fear. That is not what God wants in our lives. We talked about last week also that that kind of fear for the Christian is simply illogical. And many Christians have illogical fears. I know of mighty men and women of God who go to foreign lands and confront witch doctors and demons and all of this kind of stuff, but when they come and visit my house, they want me to put my sheet shih away. Why? You're facing evil face to face. My little sheet shih is making you uncomfortable? You see, it isn't logical, and our brain tells us it's not logical. I shouldn't be afraid, and it's true, we shouldn't. But it doesn't mean it goes away because it shouldn't be there. And that's why the Lord gave me this message. If I fear anything as being more powerful than God himself, then in my estimation, in my mind, not in my spirit, in my mind, I remove the true God from the throne of my life and replace it with a false God. What we're doing is we're actually saying, I'm more afraid of whatever this is than I am of God's ability to take care of it. Now, we don't think those thoughts logically. All of this happens in a second. The truth is, the person who's afraid of a little small poofy dog probably had an incident at some time in their life when they were small where a dog nipped them or bit them or frightened them. And then when they grow up, that fear has never been dealt with. And so they go through life simply avoiding small dogs or all dogs. It isn't logical, especially for a believer. We shouldn't have any fear in our life. You see, what's wrong with having a fear of a small dog? Nothing's wrong with it. But then who's making the decision in that situation? Your fear is. 
Your fear decides if you go in someone's house. Your fear decides who you can get close to. Your fear decides. And that's what's wrong with allowing fear to continue. Most of us, we do. If it isn't a big deal for us, if it isn't keeping us from going to work, <laughs> we live with it. We just ignore it. But ignoring is not resisting. We shouldn't allow even what we would call silly little fears to remain in life because they're not silly. Fear is real. And fear contaminates our faith. It works against us. And so we don't want fear in control of our life. The truth is that there is no power greater than God's, and there is no God other than the one true and living God. So the truth about bugbears is that the only real power they have is to deceive. Idols weren't real gods. Idols didn't really have any power. Now, were there demonic activity involved? Absolutely. But really, do you think a demon's keeping his part of the bargain? No. <laughs> it's futile to, to play that game. It's futile. But deception is very powerful because we are not aware that we believe something that isn't true. In order to escape its power, the power of deception, I have to come to the knowledge that I am deceived. I have to be able to receive the truth. That's the first thing. See, fear is like an alarm. When we're afraid of something, there's a reason that we're afraid of something. Now, it's not necessarily a logical reason, but there is a reason. Somewhere in our heart, we believe something that's not true. Fear is kind of like a, an indicator light on your dashboard. If I believe in something that isn't true, like I'm afraid of small, poofy dogs with pink bows are dangerous. <laughs> if I believe that's true, and it makes me uncomfortable to be in the same room with it, then I need to let Jesus dress this. Because he wants us fear from all of the little bugbears. They're just little idols. They're little things that don't have real power. My Shih Tzu will not hurt anybody. That isn't the point. The point is the fear is in their heart and the fear is real. And the fear has power over their life. That's what's wrong with fear. It's letting an untruth have dominion in our life. And we don't want that. Jesus doesn't want that for us. And for some people, these fears get out of control. And they're not logical. And you can try to reason away an illogical fear, and it will not go away. The feelings are indicators that what is true in Christ is not what my heart believes is true. I can absolutely know the truth in my head and not in my heart. Sometimes this is a real hard thing to get people to believe, that your head can know one thing and your heart thinks something completely different. <laughs> and you're like, come on heart, get with the program. <laughs> but it's true, and it's because of the way our brain works. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Caroline Leaf at all. She explains that the way our brain actually works is that memories are physical entities in our brain. They're nerves. Memory is implanted, like the Word of God can be implanted, same concept, that in our brain, wherever there's a good memory, there are good healthy chemicals. Wherever there's a bad memory, there are bad unhealthy chemicals. That's what's wrong with fear, is that memories that contain fear and anger and hurt and pain are full of all these unhealthy chemicals. And so what happens in our life is we bump into these memories unconsciously. One of the ways the Lord showed me the reality of this was like at work, Mark and I used to work at the same place. And he used to come and stand and look over my shoulder as I was working on phones. And that's irritating. <laughs> and I'm thinking, don't you have anything better to do <laughs> than look over my shoulder? It just made me uncomfortable. I just found it to be very irritating. I was like, um, don't you have something you can go do? <laughs> be gone because <laughs> of this irritation. When I've played the piano and we're taking lessons, having someone look over my shoulder makes me uncomfortable. Now you say, well, that's no big deal. You just ignore it. Well, I could. I could just ignore it. Or I could recognize that my heart is telling me something is amiss in what I believe. What happens in our day-to-day -day life is the things that happened to us when we were children are still in our brain. And all of these memories always have emotion. Experience will always have emotion attached to it. So that's why it's powerful. So in our day-to-day -day life, we run into scenarios. 
somebody looking over your shoulder, something as innocent as that, causing you irritation, uncomfortableness. You can just ignore it, or you can find out why. What happened to me in my life that this is irritating? Because it shouldn't be irritating. What I found is that something happened to me as a child that was similar. It was only similar. And what he was doing was reminding me. His presence, looking over my shoulder, simply reminded me of something when I was a child that had either fear or pain involved in it. Now, I wasn't consciously remembering that. I don't have to consciously remember that. My heart will do it for me. <laughs> okay? So this is the concept, that we can know the truth of who Jesus Christ is in our mind, but our heart not be fully persuaded. Not because we don't know the truth, but because something else happened by experience that counteracts that. One of the things that I've come to understand is the way the brain works is we grow based on what we already know. We learn to crawl, and then we learn to walk, and then we learn to run. We learn A, B, and C, and then we learn A is for apple. <laughs> we grow based on what we already know. Now that sounds like a perfect way for God to do it, and it is normally. The problem is when the things we know are not true. Getting them out can become a problem. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. I'll tell you the end of that story about my husband in a little while. But that's how the brain works. Good memories have good feelings and good chemicals. Bad memories have bad chemicals, and they make us unhealthy physically. That's why what you believe matters. It actually affects you physically. Jesus can change our memories. Now, he doesn't actually change what happens in the memory. He changes our interpretation of what happened. That's how he's able to take something that you misunderstood, or you were hurt, or you were afraid, and he's able to speak the truth into that memory, because he is present at all times, so he was there when it happened. He can speak the truth into that memory and release the sting. Take the sting out of it. Not everything happened to us was good. Not everything that happened to us was right. Not everything we believed was correct. But Jesus is able to speak into that and release us from the fears and the pains and the things that we run into and we don't understand why today am I uncomfortable in this situation? Why am I afraid? What about this makes me uncomfortable? And the truth is, it has to do with something you believe but you don't know that you believe. Andrew Womack talks about the fact that when he was a young man, I don't remember what, how old he was, but he lost his father. On top of the pain of losing your father, he was given all sorts of helpful, quote-unquote, information as to why he should just accept the fact that his father died. It must have been God's will. Okay, now what does that tell a little 12-year-old? God is mean. If you don't fly right, he might kill the people you love. He was told uh, God needed him in heaven. You take an injury like that, a true grief and pain, and then you add all these lies and deceptions onto that, and it becomes unbearable. Now you have somebody who's going to run away from the one person who can help them. Is Satan smart? Yeah, yeah. Let's destroy this life early. We'll cause your father to die, and then we'll tell you it's all God's fault. Satan's really good at that. He even does that to believers. Christians told Andrew <laughs> that God did this to them, you know? And it's the, because of the wrong information, we walk around in fear. We're believing things that aren't true. It's not okay with God. It's not okay with God. Because when we are in the right place with Jesus, we have peace and joy when we're walking in the truth, we have peace and calm, and everything is good. It feels good to be in Jesus. <laughs> it feels good to be in the truth. There's no torment in the truth. There's no fear in Jesus. So if we have fear, we're believing something that's not true. So we start always with the Word of God. Normally, having trouble with fear, you will be told, find out what the scriptures say about fear, Memorize them, concentrate on that, you know, and storm the gates. It does work. It does work. It takes time. <laughs> sometimes a lot of time, because sometimes 
we're not sure what it is we're afraid of. Well, I know the situation is scary, but I don't know. It's illogical. And we try to reason ourselves out of it. The Word of God has the ability, because it is the spoken Word of God, to enter into the darkness that we have in our heart. He sort of like one little root at a time starts digging those things up for us. The Word of God does work. The written Word of God, memorizing it, putting it in your heart. But what really happens, though, when you do that, is you're turning it into the spoken Word of God. Think about that. We take the written Word of God, and we put it inside of us. And then the Lord can then bring that to our, our remembrance, and it becomes a rhema. becomes the spoken Word of God. And that's where the release from wrong thinking and wrong feelings and all those, the release comes from the spoken word of God, the spoken word of Christ. All this process is really what we call being transformed in our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word transformed means transfigured. When the Lord first started talking to me about this concept, and I didn't want to do it, <laughs> I didn't want to know what was in my heart. He took me to the scripture where Jesus was transfigured. He's changed. And the disciples see him, and he's there with Moses and Elijah. And his clothes begin to shine. And as the Lord brought me there, he says, why could Jesus do that? Because Jesus was 100% man <laughs> and dwelt by God. He's God and man. So was this something only God could do? Or was this something only a man filled with God could do? And the Lord said, what's in his soul? You see, in the scripture of Romans 12, 2, the renovating of or renewing of your mind, in Greek understanding, your mind is your mind, your will, and your emotion. What do we call that? We call it our soul. That's where all the stuff gets stuck. <laughs> because in our spirit, man, we are 100% complete. We are flawless before our Father, completely accepted in the Beloved. There is no fear in our spirit. There is no sin in our spirit. There is no darkness. Perfection. Awesome. Our soul, on the other hand, our mind, our will, and our emotions has been through life. <laughs> and has picked up some stuff, stuff that's not true. It is the renewing of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So many Christians will say, yes, I need to renew my mind. I need to have the Word of God. But we talk to them about what they're feeling. Oh, no, no, no. We're just going to squash it. We're just not even going to pay any attention to how we feel. We just want to concentrate on Jesus and ignore this little elephant under the rug. <laughs> They want to ignore how they're feeling. But God created us on purpose the way we are. If we have fear, if we have pain in our heart, if we have heartache, it's not supposed to stay there. Our spirit man, one with Christ, is supposed to be able to go completely through our soul, out into our body, and out into our world. That's the idea, right? that Jesus be able to go completely through us. But I have met Christians where Jesus could not get an inch <laughs> through their anger. He couldn't express himself. He couldn't show himself glorious because their fear was their whole life. And it's because there's stuff stuck in there. It doesn't have to stay there. We have power and authority through the Lord Jesus Christ to answer all that junk. Now, sometimes you know exactly what it is. When I was a, a young mother, my first husband would go out drinking at night, and I would be home alone with the children. And I would have every light in the house on, all of them, because I didn't know what time he was going to be home. And the neighborhood we lived in wasn't the best. Finally, one day God says, do you really need to have every light in the house on? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. He wanted me to face my fear. It's not healthy. And of course, he took me to Job where what Job feared came upon him, I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't want what I'm fearing to come upon me. How do I change what I'm afraid of? We can do it. Jesus will do it through us. 
The reason what came upon Job, what he feared, was because fear is a form of faith. Fear is believing for something bad to happen. How's that for silly? <laughs> fear is believing for something bad to happen. We don't want to do that. So we want to be able to push it back. Now, we should always, when we are confronted with fear, resist it. Because we know, first of all, fear is never, never from God. We can be afraid over the silliest things. I'm going to tell you a really silly story about me. This happened just a few weeks ago. <laughs> a few weeks ago, my ear was all dry and itchy, so I took a Q-tip and put some baby oil in it and stuck it in my ear. Get it all nice and slathered up. Pull it out, and there's no cotton on the end of my stick. <laughs> you know what's really funny? Instant fear. Instant fear. I've lost my Q-tip in my ear. <laughs> and I put my finger in there, and I can't reach it. More fear. You know what I'm thinking? I'm going to have to go to the emergency room. I'm going to have to have a doctor's bill to pay for this. I'm going to look really stupid for sticking the Q-tip in my ear. So the Holy Spirit goes, calm down. <laughs> this is silly to be afraid of. Is Jesus not bigger than a Q-tip? Come on. <laughs> Get a tweezer. <laughs> Fear is not logical. But Satan is really good at saying, oh, this is really bad. Bad, it's going to cost you money. You're going to look stupid. All the things we hate. <laughs> okay. So you can stop it right in its tracks by listening to the Holy Spirit and recognizing the truth. Why did I have, I mean, it was full force fear. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous that that should come up. I should have been able to go, oh, that's just silly, and fix it. But no, instead, it turned into this ginormous amount of fear in my So all these bad chemicals were released into my body <laughs> because of a Q-tip. <laughs> now that's silly, right? But that's how sneaky fear can be. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he could expose who he was in his spirit. That's why his clothes could shine, that he could so emanate who he was through his soul and through his body that there was no darkness in his soul. There's no deception. There's no fear in Jesus. So when he just was him in all of his fullness and glory, he glowed. That's what we're supposed to be like, that there be no darkness, no fear in us, and that when he wants to step up and show off, he can glow through us. He can release all that power. That's what he wants for us. Renewing your mind, the word there is means to renovate. It doesn't mean to wipe clean. I think I always thought of in that understanding, the renewing of your mind, washing it away, washing with the, with the word, washing it away. But the word renovate, you have to actually go in and find what's bad. Take out the wrong believing. Take out the things that are rotting. Take out the things that are causing problems. And then rebuild. So it's, it's a two-step process, taking out the bad and putting in the good. So that's renewing or renovating our mind. I'm going to tell you today a little bit more about this method. It was um, taught as an inner healing class. When I learned it, I went to this class. It took like, I don't know, 12 hours, 16 hours. It was like a, a two-day seminar. And what I realized, because the Lord told me to go to this, that I already knew 95% of what they were teaching. It was stuff I already did. I had already been letting Jesus change and renew my mind and renovate me for years. But usually what happens with Christians is we wait for stuff to come to a crisis. <laughs> You know, we don't deal with the little fears. We don't deal with the little bugbears that come knocking and say, be scared of me, be scared of me. I'm bigger than Jesus. No, you're not. We just don't deal with them. And because of that, we don't necessarily walk in all the spiritual health we should. We have stuff that clogs us up. Those bad chemicals are being released regularly and when they don't have to be released at all. This method of letting Jesus reveal who he is. 
letting Jesus glow in you. That's really a good way to understand it. It's about Jesus just removing whatever is hindering his glowing in your life. It's really all it is. It all begins with that Jesus is the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. I love the fact that it says the Word of Christ in the ESV version because it is the rhema. It is the rhema. One of the things I find with Christians that are struggling is they struggle to hear the Lord. They're not sure they're hearing the Lord. They're confused if they're hearing the Lord. Hearing God seems to be a big problem for many Christians. They've never been taught that God talks. He doesn't just speak from the Bible, but that he actually has ordinary, everyday conversation with you all the time. As a young believer, I wasn't taught that Jesus talked. The funny thing was, I already knew. But where I went to church, they never talked about Jesus. In fact, I was actually scolded for saying, God told me. People got really angry with me because I said, well, God told me this, and God told me that. And, and they're like, who do you think you are? I'm new at this. Am I doing it wrong? <laughs> People were angry because they hadn't yet learned the truth that Jesus is always talking. He's always communicating. He's always revealing himself. We make it so hard sometimes. It's natural. I accepted Christ when I was 10. I knew nothing about Jesus. I knew nothing about church, nothing about the Word. But when I came to the saving knowledge of Christ as a young adult, when they, someone told me, this is called what it was born again is, and, and now this is how you walk in it, and this is how you know Jesus, I figured out, oh, it was you I was talking to all that time. Oh, it was you who was talking to me all that time. But there are so many Christians who have not yet learned God is always talking because they haven't learned to recognize his voice. How does God talk? Through our thoughts. This renewing of our mind is really important because he talks to us through our thoughts. He doesn't mind repeating himself. Many times, something will come to mind and I'll say, if that's from you, remind me again. If that's you, remind me again. He doesn't mind. I'm just thinking, is this your thought or is this my thought? So he is always talking and he's always talking to our minds. He also says he gives us unction. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives us unction. Inklings. Intuitions. <laughs> you know stuff. It's not a thought. It's coming out of your spirit directly. It's like speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues doesn't come out of your head. It comes out of your spirit. And so he's always, he's always trying to lead. He's always trying to talk. He's always trying to communicate. In this scripture, Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the rhema. Christ is the anointed one and his anointing. So when we hear the word of Christ, we receive the power of the anointing within those words. It doesn't have to be scripture. It just has to be truth. When he speaks to us, and most of the time, really, does God talk to you in scripture all the time? No. Will he? Yes. He doesn't speak in scripture all the time any more than we do. <laughs> He's always having normal, natural conversation that's always based in the truth. His word, though, contains the power of God. His spoken word, when we hear him say, you are healed, that word has the power in it to release the healing. Because it says his word brings with it the faith. It causes the faith to be activated. It causes the power to be released simply by receiving what we hear him say. So often when people come up for prayer, I'll ask them, do you hear Jesus saying anything? And sometimes they look at me like, why would he be saying anything? <laughs> I'm trying to get them to activate their faith. You came up here for this need. What does Jesus say about it? What are you hearing the Holy Spirit say? Because what that do is it will activate your faith. His word contains the power to answer whatever it is you're asking for. That's the power of a rhema word. He spoke the entire universe into existence. When he speaks, there's power. That's why it's so important for us to recognize when he's speaking to us, because he is always speaking. Now, 
I'm trying to really emphasize the spoken word of, of Christ, how important it is to us. But a lot of times he will speak to us in scripture, if you put it in your heart. <laughs> because you can't bring to your remembrance something you don't know. <laughs> That's the bottom line. That's why it is good to have a daily reading plan and those kinds of things. So that when you say, Lord, what about this? Up comes that scripture. Because you've, you've taken the time to put it in. About five years ago, I was taking my poofy little shih tzu for a walk. <laughs> and when I would go for walks with her, I would grab a little scripture card. And one of the ones I grabbed was um, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now I love that scripture because when it says we have the right and the power to tell our heart, no, <laughs> we're not going to be afraid in this situation. But like God, he uses the same scripture in a, in a myriad of different ways. I got a phone call in the wee hours of the morning that my dad had had a heart attack. And so you get ready, you get dressed, you get in your car, okay, okay. Fear instantly wants to come. Because what is fear? It is an effort by the enemy to stop you from having faith. Okay? He doesn't want you speaking the word. He doesn't want you standing on the word. He wants you to be afraid because it will nullify your ability to release the power of Christ in that situation. So, took authority over the fear and said, absolutely not. Pray all the things you know to pray. You will live and not die. You will declare the glory of the Lord. <laughs> you know, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. You are in covenant with the one true and living. You start standing your ground and saying, no. Drawing a stand in the line, you're not coming over. When I, after I had done all the things I was supposed to do, I said, okay, Lord, talk to me. <laughs> this is my daddy. Talk to me. And he brought this scripture. Let not your heart be troubled. And he said, pray that for your dad. Let not your heart be troubled by anything. <laughs> he took a, a one scripture, ministered to me, and made it into a weapon against the enemy. And that is the power of the rhema of God. We put in the word, and Jesus turns it into power in our lives. Fear released. Faith is released. And God is exalted. Amen. What I want you to also see is that God created us with a mouth and heart connection. Romans 10, 9, it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. God created us with this heart and mouth <laughs> connection. It's very powerful. I don't think we really understand how powerful our words are when it comes to our heart. Again, a few years ago, I was mentoring somebody. I was telling them about positive confession. You know, if you don't know the word well, take the word. Start putting it in <laughs> so that God can turn it into a rhema. You know, confess the scriptures that you're healed. Confess the scriptures that you're prosperous. And the lady said to me, I can't do that. I've tried that. I cannot do that. She was very serious. And I said, well, why can't you? She goes, it feels like lying. Heart and mouth connection. See, her mind could say, well, I know this is the word of God and it's true. But is it true for me? For her, it wasn't. By his stripes, I'm healed. I can't say that. It feels like a lie. What does it tell us? that her heart has not yet received the information correctly, that she is already healed. So to her, what her mouth says directly is connected to what's in her heart. That's one of the ways we can find out what's in there. How does my heart feel when I say certain things? He tells you when you think it's a lie. When there's something in there that says something that's not true, when we speak it out, something contrary to what we believe, it feels like lying. <laughs> when a new convert comes into the message of grace, and I am flawless before Christ, they're like, oh, I don't think I can say that. The truth has not yet been penetrated into their heart. 
because their heart knows what they did when they were, you know, 16. <laughs> and so that condemnation in their heart speaks to them. That's the thing about the truth. Our heart and our mouth agree. We have peace. I don't know any Christian who's really good at lying. It makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> because we know the truth. And to speak a lie is contrary. So we have this mouth and heart connection that's very powerful. And it can be used to figure out what's actually in our heart and how to let Jesus actually fix it. I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 10. What I'm hoping you'll see here is that this is normal Christianity. <laughs> that God talking to you all the time is normal Christianity. And that having fear in our life isn't. But when God wants to change our mind, when he wants to bring new truth into us, we don't always get it right away. And I want to show you that with Peter. In Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 9, it says this. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being led down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened to him three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. What happened in this scenario prior to this is that it tells you about Cornelius, a, an Italian centurion, who is a very devout believer in the one true God. Basically, he wants to be saved. <laughs> but he doesn't know how to do that. He doesn't have that information. So God says, call for Peter, and Peter will come. He will minister to you. What I love about this vision that Peter has is it has nothing to do with food. Nothing. God loves pictures. God not only speaks into our ears, but he speaks into our ability to see pictures. He created us this way. When Jesus ministered, he was always using parables. He was always painting pictures. So painting pictures in our mind is a very normal, natural way for God to talk to us. So God paints this picture for Peter. Here's this big sheet. All the unclean animals you can think of. Kill and eat. Have a feast. I love this. No. <laughs> this is God talking and he says no no unclean thing has ever entered into my mouth no and God does it again kill and eat does this three times he doesn't get it he's thinking what are you trying to tell me here God I love it because it has nothing to do with food I love that but God knows how we see things how we interpret things so when God told Peter don't call what I say is clean, unclean. Peter only understood it in terms of food until God revealed to him. When a man came to his house, Jews did not go to Gentile houses ever. They're unclean, just like those animals. I love this because Peter wasn't getting it. It makes me feel better. <laughs> Peter wasn't getting it at first, all right? Sometimes when, when God tries to show us pictures, talk to us in dreams, reveal things to us, when he wants to change our mind, it's very normal and very natural for him to give us pictures. It's natural. It's natural Christianity. Okay? So I wanted you to see that when it comes to God changing our mind, one, he's persistent. <laughs> and two, he gives it through speaking his word, and giving us pictures. And this is how this method of inner healing, you can call it whatever you want. It's just a way of God helping us, healing our hearts. It's just simply that. 
to get rid of all those little bugbears who tell us we should be afraid of them when we know we shouldn't. The way this works is when you have a negative feeling in your life, any kind of negative feeling, for a lot of us, it's the bugbear who tries to scare us. We don't know why all these little things frighten us. We know we shouldn't be afraid. We know the truth. But the truth isn't conquering what we learned from our childhood. So what you do is you concentrate on the emotion. Now, I started this story earlier when Mark was looking over my shoulder. Okay, Lord. I used to do this almost nightly when I would get off of work. If I had any negative emotion during the day, I would take it to the Lord that night when I would go home from work. And he and I would do house cleaning. Get that junk out of my soul so I can glow. <laughs> and um, so what you do is you, you concentrate on the feeling. How does it make me feel? Heart and mouth connection. You can't do this in your head. It doesn't work in your head. You've got to have the heart and mouth connection. So you talk it out. Well, it kind of feels like, mm, you know, like he's measuring me. Yeah, that feels kind of true. And you, you, you measure it. On a scale of 1 to 10, how true does what I say feel? Feels like, you know, like maybe he doesn't like the way I'm doing my job. Yeah, yeah maybe a little true. So you just keep feeling around with the words of your mouth. It's like when you go to the doctor, the doctor examines your abdomen. Does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Does it, oh, hurts there. Now we know what we're dealing with. That's exactly what we're doing with our words. We're searching our heart. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? And the only way we can really tell is if it comes out of our mouth. How true does it feel? What does it feel like? Sometimes we don't really have quite the right vernacular because our heart learned something specific when it was little. And so I'm feeling around. Okay, it kind of feels like, you know, doesn't like the way I do my job. I don't know. <laughs> and so you just keep feeling around. That kind of feels like it's kind of it. And you're looking for something to go, that feels really true. Feels really true. No, you can't go by logic. Fear is not logical. How does it feel? Not what do I know is true. What does it feel like? It feels like, like it's not good enough. Yeah, that feels true. It feels like he doesn't like the way I'm doing it. Yeah, that's, how, that's why it irritates me. Okay, Lord, show me. Where is this coming from? Where did I learn something that what I'm doing is not good enough? And he took me to a memory when I was a little girl. I was about four years old. And four-year-olds love to do dishes. Too bad 14-year-olds don't. <laughs> and my mom allowed me to do the dishes. Four-year-olds don't do dishes well. <laughs> so I was a big girl, you know, I'm helping mommy, and I wash and I put it in the rinse water, and I put it over on the towel. And she would pick it up and go, oh, it's still dirty, do it over. And this happened over and over and over. And see, when you get to a memory, you, you measure, you're always measuring. Does, how does this feel? How does this feel? Does this feel like I felt when he was standing beside me? Yeah, it feels the same. feels the same. Okay. You do the same thing. You start palpating that memory. What about why? Why do I feel the same way? What is it that feels like it's not good enough? What is it that... <laughs> and when you start saying the right thing that your brain remembers, your heart goes, ow! Bing, 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 bing! <laughs> you have found the thing you think is true but isn't. What had happened is the message that Satan whispered into my ear, because my mama didn't do it. My mama didn't say, well, you'll never be good enough. But that's how I felt, that no matter how hard I try, it will never be good enough. And when I said that, tears started to come. You know you've found the right place <laughs> when your heart is bearing witness. I said, okay, Jesus, show me the truth. Show me where you are in this. See, the truth isn't what happened to me. The truth is Jesus. And he's going to change the way I interpret what happened. What's the truth, Jesus? Show me the truth. And there's where pictures come in. Some people are very visual, like me. He will very easily give you pictures. 
Some people are more word-oriented, more, more vocal-oriented. He'll just speak a truth. For me, he did both. He just showed me when in that memory, he stood between me and my mom, and he took one of the glasses I had washed, and he filled it with water, and he looked at me, and he said, it's good enough for me. And he drank from my glass. You know what I felt? This gush of his love. This gush of his acceptance. And now, it doesn't matter who stands behind my shoulder. Because what I learned when I was little was wrong. The thought and the feelings that I had that day were planted in my brain. And my life will bump into those things in my path. And I'll feel them. I don't necessarily remember them, but I'll feel them. And so it is the rhema of God that comes in and changes everything. Now, sometimes you're going to have emotions that aren't necessarily based on something in your past when you were little. 99% of them will be. I want to share this last one because we're running out of time. <laughs> I was divorced about age 30. I didn't marry Mark Testament until about age 40. During that time, I did not date at all. I was raising my family and being faithful to Jesus Christ, and he was my husband, and I was perfectly happy with that. The truth was, I was afraid to ever get married or fall in love again. I told the Lord I didn't want, I didn't want to. During those years, one of the things I dealt with all the time was feeling worthless. God, even if I decided I wanted to get married again, <laughs> who on earth would want me? Who on earth would want me? I'm broken. Unused goods. All the garbage that Satan speaks to your heart. And so, on the way home from work one night, this feeling of worthlessness kept popping up. It's just Jesus saying, look, you're ripe. Let's get rid of this. You're ripe. Let's heal this up. <laughs> and so I said, okay, Lord. I tried to go to a memory, and nothing would come. And the Lord said, paint me a picture. You paint me a picture how this feels. I said, okay, Holy Spirit, help me paint a picture. <laughs> and I said, the picture came. It was a rummage sale. And if you've ever been to a rummage sale, you know there are high-priced items and small-priced items, and there's usually a free box. It's full of stuff nobody wants to pay for. And the truth is, it's full of stuff nobody really wants. <laughs> That's why it's free. <laughs> and I said, as I begin to talk it out, because it does. It doesn't come easy. It's a matter of, of heart and mouth connection. It feels kind of like, well, no one would want me. It kind of feels like, you know, I'm not good enough. It kind of feels, and then it finally came. It feels like I belong in the for free box. Nobody wants me, and no one will pay for me. It did this to me. <laughs> and I said, Lord, show me the truth. Show me the truth, because I know I'm not supposed to feel this way. And he says, okay, keep watching. So here I am in the for free box, and everybody's walking by because nobody wants what's for free. It's damaged goods. And Jesus walked over, and he picks me up out of the for free box. And he goes to pay for me, and he gives all he has for me to buy me. And all those feelings of worthlessness just melted away. You see, that's the message of grace. <laughs> that is the message of grace. We were all in the for free box. <laughs> and Jesus said, you are worth it all. I want you. I love you. I love you so much. I will pay the greatest price that any person could ever pay. You see, this is all about revealing Jesus to our hearts. When negative emotions, negative junk comes up, there is an answer that he wants to speak. There is a picture that he wants to show you. And it, the best way, the best way to get over and beyond and get healed is the message of grace. The message of grace will do so much to separate us from those fears and those lies. The message of grace has the ability to come underneath all that garbage and start pulling it all away. But if something is hurting your heart, if something is making you afraid, and you're not getting victory, 
try this simple process. Jesus is faithful. You have to do it out loud. You can't do it in your head. I had taught this at a class like 15 years ago. And it was a class he came once a week for. And a gentleman said, you know, I tried it, but it didn't work. And I said, well, if it isn't too personal, could you tell us the process that you went through? He began to tell us, and I stopped him. I said, did you do this in your head, or did you do this out loud? And he said, well, I did it in my head. I said, it doesn't work. Mouth and heart connection. (laughs) You're going to release the word of God that you hear. You're going to release by faith the, the power and presence of Christ. But you've got to figure out what it is he's releasing it to. You have to use your vocal voice. You and I are speaking spirits. It's important that we, able, we are able to speak what Jesus shows us. We have to use our mouth. As he began to tell the story again, when he was telling me how it didn't work, <laughs> that Jesus didn't show up, as he's talking, he sees a picture. As he's talking, the tears start to come. As he's talking, he is healed of wounds from his childhood. As he speaks, the word of God says, because I believe, therefore I speak. That Jesus releases his power when we speak what we hear him saying. Amen? I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you that you are awesome. That you love us with an everlasting love. Yes, we didn't deserve your love. We didn't deserve your sacrifice. Thank you we don't have to. Thank you that your love is why you've done what you've done for us. And that you have bought and purchased us out of the dominion of sin, out of the dominion of Satan, out of the dominion of fear. And we don't have to have any of that in our lives. You have made us flawless before the Lord. You have made us perfect in your sight. You love us more than we can ask or imagine you love us. You love us so much. Father God, I ask that you would bring these principles to their mind. That when something hurts, when something irritates, when something makes them afraid, they know they can come to you and you will speak the truth into their heart and release them from those, those deceptions, those bugbears, those things that demand our attention. Father, I thank you for the truth that you have bought and paid for us. I thank you that that truth changes everything, absolutely everything. I thank you, Father God, that you have made us fearless in Christ Jesus that in you there's nothing we cannot overcome, nothing that is not conquerable, nothing is bigger than our Jesus. And we thank you, Father. Amen.